welcome again. I'm a little bummed I can't see your pretty faces this week. Well, most of you are pretty. Some of you need a little work, but just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know, right? Hey, I got a new red vest. Um, my uh, daughter called it a life preserver. Thanks. And uh, my dog ripped my other one. Um, so got a new one. My wife bought this for me. So if you don't like it, you can talk to her. I did pick it out. <laughs> um, well, we're continuing our sermon series this morning on the book of Philippians. And so if you want to turn there, we'll get there in one minute. But um, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. Uh, I've mentioned the first several weeks. I haven't mentioned it as much lately as we've kind of been going through this. I think this is the ninth or tenth sermon uh, in the book of Philippians. But he wrote this to the church at Philippi, hence the name Philippians, around 62 AD while he was in prison in Rome. About 10, 11 years prior to this, uh, Paul visited Philippi and he shared the gospel. And you kind of know the story a little bit, um, but a woman named Lydia came to saving faith in Jesus Uh, a dealer in purple cloth, we're told in the Bible, a very wealthy woman. Her family came to faith in Jesus. So did a a young slave girl. She came to faith in Jesus in Philippi. And so did a Roman jailer and his family. And all were baptized and came to faith in Jesus. So Paul started this church in Philippi around 50, 52 AD, something like that. And uh, he wrote to them 10 years later, 62 AD, which is the letter we have here that we've been looking at. The letter is, is really joyful, and that's why it has been kind of a favorite among countless Christians, probably some of you even in this room. Philippians is one of your favorite books of the Bible because the word rejoice and the word joy is just littered throughout the book. Passages like Philippians 1.6, I'm not going to quote them for us this morning, but passages like Philippians 1.6, Philippians 1.27, Philippians 2.14, Philippians 3.8, Philippians 4.14, 4.13 are kind of favorite memorized verses for a lot of us. Some of us might remember Tim Tebow with the eye black on. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're looking at, the passage we're looking at this morning is one that's kind of often glanced over. It's kind of a forgotten about section in the book of Philippians. You're not going to find any, any memory verses in this section, yet it's incredibly deep and incredibly rich, and if we understand the context and the content, hopefully we will this morning, it will really uh, uh, help us to grow in our faith and our understanding and what it means and what it looks like to surrender, to truly surrender our lives to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, please turn them to Philippians chapter 2. We're looking at verses 19 through 30, 19 through 30. That was probably really loud on the mic when I unzipped that. Sorry, guys. Um, Let me read this passage. I'm going to pray. I'm going to let you know where we're headed this morning, and we'll go from there. We'll have it on the screens behind me as well. So the Apostle Paul wrote, he said, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All, that's everyone, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his, that's Timothy, you know Timothy's proven character. Because he has 
He has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see things, how things will go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send Epaphrodites, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again, there's that word, when you see him. And I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy. And hold people like him in honor. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you for people like Timothy And Epaphroditus, who selflessly, sacrificially served the church. And God, we pray that we'll do the same. We pray, God, that we will live in such a way that we will honor you and glorify you. We'll live in such a way that we will be a witness to the watching world. We will live in such a way that will be a blessing to the church, maybe to this church, Jesus. God, do what only you can do. Help us, guide us, change us. We pray in your name, God. Amen. Well, here's where we're headed this morning. I've said this before, but I don't know if it's ever been kind of like the main focus of a passage, but I kind of, I really see it in this text. And some of us aren't going to like this, but it's true. Here's where we're headed. It's not about you. It's not about you. Christianity, your life, your faith is not about you. So I want to make this a little bit more personal. So if you'd indulge me for a minute, I would love for you to say, even if you're at home in your PJs sitting on your couch... I would love for you to say it. It's not about me. So go ahead. It's not about me. Say it again. See, there are countless times in my life when I've wondered, why am I doing this? I remember when, when COVID kind of first happened, you know, in March, nine months ago now, I remember uh, myself and my friend Tyler, who's a deacon here, he's serving in the back right now, we, we were painting Uh, The hallway of the church, we painted all kinds of stuff in the church. And I remember both of us going, why are we doing this? Why am I on this mission trip? I've thought that countless times when, when I've been out serving in different parts of the country and world. Why am I listening to this person complain about everyone and everything? Why am I doing this? Because it's not about me. Life isn't mine. When I chose to follow Jesus, 
when I surrendered my life to him, the life that I thought I had and thought I wanted was given up. I surrendered the life I expected to have for the life that he's called me to live. See, the moment we choose to follow Jesus, we lose our right to call our lives mine. Your life is no longer yours, Galatians 2.20. It's no longer about us, but it's about Jesus. And I want to tell you that this is probably the most difficult aspect of the Christian life to grasp. And this is a lifelong pursuit. Understanding what it looks like to surrender your life for the glory and the sake of Jesus and for the blessing of others. See, the greatest temptation in life from birth to death is to make everything about ourselves, to place ourselves at the center of the universe. And everything that we go through in life, we're constantly looking at through our own eyes with little regard to what Jesus calls us to do and how it might affect other people. But see, when we let go of ourselves and follow Jesus, that's when we experience the fullness of life. And that's what we find in Timothy and Epaphroditus. With these two men, we find concrete examples of what it means to live a sacrificial, selfless, and joy-filled life for the sake of Jesus. These two dudes are living out Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. You remember that passage? It talks about humility talks about giving yourself up. It talks about being a sacrificial servant, having the same attitude of that as Christ Jesus. That's what these two guys did. That's what they were about. So it is quite fitting that Paul shares all this stuff about Jesus, and then he puts these two examples right after that. It's quite beautiful, actually. And aside from that, too, we need to remember it's a letter. And he's writing a letter to a church with real people. And here he's writing about two real people who are living for the name and fame of Jesus. Now, there's nothing sensational about these verses. There's nothing really worth memorizing. Again, you're not going to find necessarily a memory verse in here. But faithful, you got to hear me say this because, you know, you don't see this a lot on TV. You don't see this a lot with, with celebrity preachers. I'm throwing a little bit of shade, but that's fine. There's nothing really sensational about these verses. There, there's nothing really worth memorizing, as I said, but faithful Christian living doesn't always look astonishing. It doesn't. Faithfully following God is in the mundane things of your life. Now, once in a while, sure, something amazing happens. But God normally meets us and uses us in the normalness, if that's a word, of everyday life. God normally meets you when you're washing the dishes, when you're driving to work, when you're doing the laundry, when you're going to bed, when you're waking up. God meets with you in those places. Timothy and Epaphrodites were normal Christians faithfully following God in everyday life. Epaphroditus was a member of the Philippian church. And they wanted to, to give Paul a gift. I'll talk about this in a little while. They wanted to give Paul a gift. So they actually sent this guy, Epaphroditus, a normal everyday guy, nothing special about him. 
And they said, we need to give, you need to get this gift to Paul. And we're going to send you hundreds of miles away to visit this guy. Normal guy, normal believer, just like you and me, who was like, okay, I'll go take the gift. I'll travel halfway around the world and I'll go see this guy, Paul. And here he is. Now we know about this guy. Just faithfully following God. See, there's quite a bit in this passage and quite a bit we can learn from these two guys. Now look at verse 19 again, if you would, for me. Now, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be encouraged by news about you. So it's a little weird because Paul is kind of discussing his travel plans here. So it's a little odd, and that's why when we read it, we're like, uh, who cares? Just get me on to something that means a little bit more to me, a little bit more personal. But again, we've got to dig in here. Timothy is in Rome with Paul. Paul desired that Timothy would visit the Philippians to check up on the church. Now remember, you might remember this from the first few weeks we were looking at the book of Philippians, but Paul was getting news while he was in prison that there were some agitators in the church. We'll talk about them in a few weeks. There are some agitators in the church and they're stirring up controversy. So Paul is like, he's telling the Philippians, listen, I hope to send Timothy to you soon so he can check up on you. Timothy was Paul's right-hand man. He's saying, you know, I hope to get him there so he can check up on you, he can get these agitators out, and he can deal with you as a church and you as a people. Now, we can't forget again that Paul was in prison when he wrote this, and he wasn't sure if he was going to be released or executed. So he's saying, I hope. (laughs) I I hope to send him soon, but I, I, I might die, I don't know. But I hope to send him soon. Soon, soon. I hope to send him soon. See, Paul had thoughts and wishes, but ultimately he knew his desires were dependent on the will and the purposes of God. See, as a Christian, that's an appropriate way to live our lives. Keeping everything open-handed. If it's God's will, I will. If it's my will, I won't. (laughs) That's a healthy way to live our lives, and there's freedom in living that way. See, Timothy joined the Apostle Paul's ministry team when Paul Paul visited Derbe and Lystra. That's modern-day Turkey. If you have no idea where that is, I'm sorry, you know, whatever. We're going to eat turkey in a few weeks. It's going to be great. But you can read that in Acts chapter 16. And if you have a trick, by the way, on how to not dry out a turkey, I would love, love to hear. I I dry it out every year. I don't know what to do. I've tried a roaster. I've tried the oven. I haven't tried the deep frying thing because I've heard people blow up. So um, if you have a trick or tip on that, I'd love to hear that one too. But anyhow, Acts chapter 16, you could read about um, when Timothy met Paul for the first time. They traveled around the Mediterranean sharing the gospel together. Paul thought highly of Timothy. You could read about this in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, but look at what he says here in verses 20 and 21. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. He thought really highly of Timothy, this young man. He's probably in his late 20s at this point, early 30s. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Now, of course, There were faithful people in Paul's life. There's a little bit of hyperbole here. But Timothy stood out. 
Timothy stood out. Now I'm going to share with you two acronyms this morning that I've used in the past, but I'm going to share two of them. Here's the first one. And I imagine that Timothy stood out because Timothy stood out because he was a fat follower of Jesus. Now I don't mean he was physically overweight. But Timothy was faithful. He was available. And he was teachable. He was a fat follower of Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that every single one of us in this room and watching online will get that. That truly following Jesus means that you're faithful. You're faithful to Jesus. You're faithful to others. You're available. You want to serve. You want to serve Jesus. You want to serve the church. You want to serve everyday people. And you're teachable. In other words, you're not full of pride. You're humble. You're willing to learn. You have a desire to share life with other people. So that's the first of two acronyms. Some of you may remember both of those. I've shared them in the past, but both are fitting as we look at Timothy and Epaphroditus. See, one thing I've noticed, and especially as I'm following Jesus and I've seen other people following Jesus, fat followers of Jesus are recognizable and distinguishable from the crowd. They stand out. And that's what's going on with Timothy right here. Timothy stood out. And he stood out because his attitude was the same as Jesus. He's living a selfless and sacrificial life. They know life isn't all about them. They're living a humble life for the glory and fame of Jesus. They want to follow God faithfully. They want to be available to do his work. And they want to be teachable when it comes to being a disciple. When we truly pursue Jesus, our interests change. Have you noticed that as you follow Jesus? Like the longer you follow Jesus, the longer you're walking with him, your interests change. That may even look like something as silly as what you watch on television or what you listen to. But your interests, your, your appetite for the things of this world, not of this world, change. Life becomes less about us and more about him. More of, more of doing his will and purposes and less of doing our own. And we see that with Timothy, don't we? Timothy was genuinely, Paul said, concerned for the Philippians. He wasn't worried about his best interests. But he was worried about their best interests. He served, he ministered, he developed friendships. Not for his own personal ambition and success, but to bless them. Timothy loved and followed Jesus, and that empowered him and encouraged him to love and serve others. It's really quite antithetical to the world, isn't it? I mean, the world says, go and get yours. I'm going to go and get mine. I'm going to take advantage of people, and when I'm done using them, I'll push them to the side, and then I'll move on to the next. I'm going to get whatever I can out of this world. I'm going to get ahead where I can. I'm going to look out for my best interests, not the interests of other people. When we follow God's interests, his interests become our interests. And that's not easy, is it? That is incredibly hard to live out the Christian life in that way. Look again what Paul wrote in verse 21. He said, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
Now, the word all there means everyone. It means the totality of people. Everyone seeks their own interests. Every single one of us in this room is seeking our own interests. Without the life-changing, attitude-adjusting power of Jesus Christ, we will pursue our own interests in this life. We will. And I'm sure you see it. Remember the last argument you had with your spouse? Guys, you usually don't, but the women do. <laughs> Guys, like, I don't know, we argued, but I don't remember what it was. About. It was probably because you were selfish, fella. <laughs> but that's usually why we argue. That's usually why we have differences, because we're seeking our own interests, not the interests of others, whether it's a spouse, a friend, a family member. We want to take care of ourselves first. And if it fits into our schedule, or if we feel like it, then we'll serve others. And really, the Christian life turns that on its head. Really, you serve Jesus first. We, we know that. And you serve others. And you worry about yourself later. And that's where kind of the second acronym comes in. You will find joy in this life when, like Timothy, you live for Jesus first, others second, yourself last. You see the joy there? Hope so. See, as Timothy lived a life of joy, J-O-Y, not only did he please God, but he was a man of proven character. See, when you start surrendering your life and you live a sacrificial life for the glory of Jesus and for the sake of others, people notice that. And you'll be defined as a man or as a woman of God with character, with integrity. In other words, Timothy had a solid reputation in Philippi and everywhere else he traveled. See, our calling is to sacrificially serve other Christians, the church, and the world. Now, I love here, this is, this is from the Apostle Peter. This is in Peter's first letter, but listen to what Peter wrote. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. See, how you live your life, Christian, matters. It truly matters. Do we have a proven character? Are we living in such a way that non-believers will honor God because of our behavior and our lifestyle? Whoa. Well, Paul isn't sending Timothy to Philippi right away. We kind of see that. Look at verse 25. He is sending Epaphroditus right away. He says that. Again, this is kind of showing his travel plans here. I considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, and my fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Now, historically, other than what we find in this letter, we know nothing about this man. Absolutely zero. He has gone down in history as kind of a, a nobody, other than what we have here. Now, if you read ahead in chapter 4, as I mentioned a little bit ago, we find that the church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus to Paul with a financial gift. 
Paul appreciated not only the gift from the Philippians, but also his friendship with Epaphrodites. Like Timothy, Epaphroditus was a man of character who lived for Jesus and others. He lived in such a way, Epaphroditus said, it's not about me. That's how he lived. And you see that as we go through this part of the letter. And now I'm sure you noticed this, but the Apostle Paul, I tried to accentuate it a little bit, provided a fourfold description of Epaphroditus. He said he's a brother. He's a co-worker. He's a fellow soldier. He's a messenger and minister. So Paul viewed Epaphroditus as a brother, a spiritual friend, a confidant. The phrase brother in Christ or sister in Christ may not mean much to us, but in the ancient days, it was one of affection and appreciation. When I hear the word brother used in the church often now, it sounds really corny. Or even when we say sister, it sounds really corny and kind of contrived. I think of Hulk Hogan. I think of the macho man kind of speaking to me, brother, right? That's how I feel. It just feels cheesy and corny when we use it in the church now. Because we don't have the weight behind it. Or is it just me or do I feel like sometimes Christian guys use the word brother because they can't remember people's names. I brother was never my thing. I used ace or boss. You remember calling people boss guys? Or Haas? Haas is a good one. I found that the ladies use friend. They use, how are you doing, friend? You're saying friend because you don't remember her name. You need to confess. Woman up here. But see, in the Christian life, we need brothers and sisters. We need deep spiritual friends. You don't need a ton of them, but a couple of them. Deep spiritual friendships, companions that we will do and experience life together. Epaphroditus was Paul's brother, but also his co-worker. Now, we've got to see this. Paul was an apostle. Paul is a spiritual stud. But you notice here, he doesn't view himself above Epaphroditus. He's a co-worker. They're on the same team. He was his equal. I love this. They're doing the same work. Paul knew it's not about me. Now, I want to throw some shade again here just for a moment. There was nothing in the Apostle Paul. There was something that happened in the last week or two with a celebrity pastor. That's where you kind of see some of this coming out. There was nothing in Paul that was a celebrity pastor with an entourage. Everyday normal people could get to the Apostle Paul. Everyday normal people like Epaphroditus could talk to the Apostle Paul. I was at a Christian conference a few years ago. And there were a lot of celebrity pastors there. And there was a VIP section of about 300 people. And that was basically where the cameras were. So they could shine a light on all the pretty looking people. So that would look good on the television screens, the filled in seats, and the hip cool people, and a few of the celebrities that were in the crowd. If you tried to cross the line, there were bouncers there that would say, oh, no, 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 no. You go sit up there. In other words, here are the special Christians, and here are the commoners. Now, it's interesting, because my wife knows me well enough. Um, I'm at this conference. I see one of my buddies down, kind of 
down below there. And uh, I sometimes do what I want. I'll just be honest with you. I hopped right over the thing. The guy was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, I'm good. Don't worry about me. I'm with him down there. And he let me go down. Sometimes you just got to do that. Anyhow. See, it's not about us, although I showed it was about me there, but it's not about us. Although my buddy was like, hey, come down and see me, I miss you. I hadn't seen him in a couple years, but, but it's Jesus first, others second, ourselves last. See, the, the battle is far too big for, for any one of us to live on our own. Paul knew that and appreciated Epaphroditus serving alongside with him as a fellow soldier. For our struggle, this is Ephesians chapter 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. You can't do it alone. You need other believers alongside of you. You need a church. You need this church fighting with you against the darkness in this world. We need other Christians. We need other fellow soldiers. You need people in your life that are pushing back darkness in your life and in the life around you and bringing forth light. Now we know Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippians to provide the Apostle Paul with a message, with this financial gift, but also to minister to him. We see that. He faithfully represented not only Jesus, Epaphroditus did, but also the church in Philippi. I wish I had more time to get on this. How are you representing Jesus? When you go to school, when you go to work, how are you representing Jesus? How are you representing? Epaphroditus represented this church well. He represented the church in Philippi well. How are you representing our church? I've seen some complainers and agitators over the last nine months. Why are you making us wear masks? Why are we doing this? Why are you meeting inside? Why are you meeting outside? Are you supporting the church? Are you trusting in the leadership of this church? Not just me, but the elders, the deacons, other faithful servants in this church. We are pursuing Christ and we are trying as best as we can to do what's best for your interests and for the name and fame of Jesus. So Epaphroditus delivered the message. He ministers to Paul. He wanted to go home, it says. Epaphroditus wanted to go home. But then look at what happened in verses 26 and 27. He has been longing for all of you. He wants to get back home. And he was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so ill that he nearly died. Now notice this. (laughs) Epaphroditus was the one that was sick. He almost died, it says. But he was more worried about the Philippians than himself. Did you pick up on that? There's no self-pity there. There's no man flu like when I get, you know, I get the man flu and I, you know, I'm dying and, you know, everybody's got to take care. There's none of that. Epaphroditus is like, I'm sick but I'm worried about my people. I almost died, but I'm worried about my church. He was so upset, Paul noted that he was distressed. He used the word distressed there. 
The only other time the Greek word for distressed is used in the New Testament was when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's a pretty interesting thing to note there. Epaphroditus had the same attitude of Jesus, Philippians 2.5. He's staring at the face of death, just like Jesus in the garden, but Epaphroditus was more concerned with the Philippians than himself. He knew it's not about me. And he's living that out. So though Epaphroditus nearly died, Paul wrote that God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would have not have sorrow upon sorrow. I don't know if you've seen this in your life. I hope you have, especially over these last eight or nine months. But God continually extends mercy to us. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, there are new mercies every morning. The context of the book of Lamentations is fascinating. Again, I wish I had more time to get into it, but the Israelites were not doing well. They're getting ransacked by the Babylonians and the temple in Jerusalem is going down and fast. Lamentations, lament, sorrow, weeping, crying, terror. And tucked away in the book of Lamentations, we have this beautiful verse of God providing his mercies, his new mercies every morning. God's mercy so often comes when we feel like the Apostle Paul. I just can't do this anymore. There's just been sorrow upon sorrow, and God, I don't know how I'm going to take another step. And then somehow, mysteriously, God provides. He reveals to us. He shows us. He gives us his mercy. God extended mercy. He spared Aphrodite's life, and Paul was excited to send him back to Philippi. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor. In other words, when people sacrifice, when people live a selfless life for the glory of Jesus and for the sake of the church, honor them. Honor them. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Now, again, I love this because the Apostle Paul is celebrating an everyday member of the church. He's celebrating someone like you who comes to church, who serves, who goes out into the world, does their job, lives with their family, takes care of their friends, and is just trying to live for Jesus. That's Epaphroditus. That's you. Again, we know nothing about this man other than he was a faithful follower of Jesus. He loved Jesus so much that he was willing to sacrifice everything. Health. His family, his friends. He left them to go visit Paul. To serve God, to serve the church. See, Epaphroditus knew it's not about me. You've heard me say this a million times, right? It's all about Jesus. I just want to close with this. It's not about you. It's not about you. And the sooner we realize that as believers, the better off we will be at following Christ and serving and loving others. In a very real way, that's when, then this, whole, when this whole Christianity thing will click. 
Epaphroditus and Timothy went for it. They held nothing back. They lived and they died for Jesus. So as I bring this to the close, to a close, what about you? What are you holding back this morning? Remember how I said that, that, you know, we follow Jesus open-handed. What do you have in your hands that your fists, man, they're just clenched? What are you holding back? Are you able this morning to say honestly and truthfully, it's not about me. It's not about me. As Jesus and his disciples were traveling down the road one day, someone came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I will follow you. Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. Look at Jesus' response. No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. It seems really harsh in some ways, but the reality is if you're truly going to follow Jesus, if you're truly going to surrender to God, then you've got to commit everything to him. Every last bit of your life has to be his. And see, here's what's crazy. As you surrender to Jesus, as you live for him, guess what? It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. And this is what, when following Jesus becomes difficult, it's going to cost you. It will cost you something to follow Jesus. Look at Paul. It cost Paul a lot. Look at Timothy. Look at Epaphroditus. He almost died following Jesus. Look at the Christians in Philippi. They're facing persecution at this time. It costs each one of them something, and it will cost you something. It will cost you, guess what? Some of your friends, you will lose people in your life because you chose Jesus, and you continue to choose Jesus. It will cost maybe some family members. It will cost you, for some of you, your health. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it might. Guess what? It's going to cost you some of your wealth. God's going to call you and he's going to command you to give up some of your wealth for the sake of the church. It's going to cost you your status. People are going to make fun of you. People will mock you. When you say it's not about me, it's all about Jesus, you've got to count the cost. Surrendering everything for Jesus and serving him is better than everything else in this life and in this world. Now, I just want to give you these sweet words for a moment, and then I'm going to pray. We're going to look at these, I think, next week. But the Apostle Paul wrote this. But everything that was a gain to me, he talks about his former life. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my, my Lord. In other words, following Jesus is so much better. I've counted the cost, and he's worth it. And I'm going to let go of anything and everything in my life that is holding me back from him. It's all about Jesus. 
It's not about me.